The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. That's right, and right now on Fast, a winning week on Wall Street as the major averages post gains over the stretch. The stage now set for the beginning of the most important earnings season in years. We'll go inside the numbers. Plus, trade it or fade it. Beyond financials, results pour in next week from Pepsi, Delta, UNH, Taiwan Semi, and more. We'll quiz the traders on where they stand on these names. And later, our chart of the week, a big tech player that's been delivering since the start of July, up nearly nine percent since just last Friday. We'll unbox the name, see if it should be in your shopping cart. I'm Courtney Reagan in tonight for Melissa Lee and this is Fast Money. We're live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Bono and Eisen with me here at the NASDAQ, Tim Seymour, Jeff Mills, and Julie Beal of Kane Anderson Rudnick. Thank you all for joining us here tonight. And we start with what's become a rare phenomenon for the markets this year, an ever-elusive weekly gain for the S&P. While the benchmark index did fall slightly today, it's still posted a gain of nearly 2% for the week. The Dow was also down slightly, but the Nasdaq managed to rise for a fifth straight day, its longest win streak since November. All this after the June employment report showed the economy added more jobs than expected last month. But the real test could come next week when the second quarter earnings season kicks off in earnest. Big banks like J.P. Morgan, they'll report, but also Delta, Pepsi, and just some of the names on the calendar. We've got an awful big week ahead. Bono, and how are you positioned going in to the week? Uh, I'm, I'm still defensive. And okay. honestly, this week surprised me quite a bit. I spoke about it a, a bit at length last, uh, last show yesterday. And really, to me, nothing has really changed. I can understand how the employment number definitely says, okay, you know what, maybe we need to pump the brakes in terms of like the recessionary pressure, at least the, the timing of when it might be coming. But I really think quantitative tightening and the Fed are impediments to continued growth, at least the pace of growth. And that, that, look, that along with liquidity, is really what's been fueling this market. And I don't think that's changed. I think the Fed is only more emboldened to continue to tighten. And I think we will start to see that bleed through into, into the markets and to the general economy. Tim, what did you make of the number today from the jobs report? You think this is locks in a 75 basis point hike at the next meeting for the Fed? I do. And, and we got the Fed minutes this week, which which let us know just how, how emboldened they were in their last meeting. And I like what would we rather have seen today? Minus 200,000 on jobs? No, I mean, I, I, I want the job numbers to continue to be strong. And for all the recession we're pricing in, uh, this is going to be the strangest recession we've ever had in history uh, when we're adding jobs at this pace. The, the good thing about today's number two on the wage side is uh, not only are wages well south of the, the CPI prints, but, but actually wages have stabilized somewhat over the last Last 12 months and we saw that within within today's numbers so uh, great we're getting second quarter numbers you know back to the market
markets. We're going into earnings season with the Nasdaq having rallied almost 10% in the last 14 sessions, S&P uh, around 7.5. So it, it's not as if we haven't done one of these trading ranges, of which we've had four of them of you know almost 10% since January in the S&P or in the Nasdaq. So uh, the good news for the week is not just that stocks were higher, but we had some, you know, some better economic data. We had an ISM services that was very strong. But we've had inflation data, everything from commodity prices. You know, gas prices are down 23 or 4 straight days. Um, these are things that actually are, are giving people a lot more comfort just on where we are, on, at least on goods inflation. So uh, interesting week. But, but bring on the second quarter. I think this is what we want, Courtney. Uh, by the way, great to have you here tonight. Oh, thanks, Tim. It's great to be here. Well, Bonneman's a little defensive. You seem to be looking at all of the bright spots. Julie, how do you put it together? Sentiment doesn't feel so great, but the data point's actually pretty good. And look at that jobs number today. How can we feel bad about that? Well, I think the, the jobs data was really interesting and the market reaction to it was as well. You know, we've gotten to this place where bad news is good news, right? Because we're so addicted to the Fed policy and, you know, having really high levels of liquidity. I think going forward, I'm really concerned about the jobs outlook because I think there's going to be pockets of major layoffs. I don't think frontline workers are going to be impacted. And that's where actually a lot of the wage growth is happening. Hmm. But I do think that for many uh, white collar work, it's going to be a much tougher economy. And people are still very concerned about higher prices. And I think that's important for the consumer spending environment. Right now, everything's great. We're all going on vacations and everything looks great on Instagram. But I think come back to school, it's going to be a much, much different picture. Everything always looks good on Instagram, right? That's the highlight reel of your life. <laughs> Jeff, what do you think about the moves that we've seen in the 10-year? I mean, those moves were, were kind of interesting and definitely not to be ignored as we're looking at this broader market move and trying to put together what it tells us about the economy and about how all of us are feeling about what we're making trades on. Yeah, it's been a little bit all over the place. And to go back to the employment report for a second, you know, it, it is a lagging indicator. So let's remember that for a second. That's not giving us a view on what's coming. And I think that that's particularly important. And unemployment is always low right before we enter a recession. So you know, I'm not calling for that imminently, but I think we should also keep that in mind. And I think what we're going to see is a slower pace of earnings growth, and that's going to trickle through to the labor market as companies start to tighten their belts a little bit. So I'm in the rates are closer to a top than not camp, and I think that's going to translate into what I think is going to be the biggest theme really for the rest of this year, which is a steady rotation from value into growth. Uh, we've had a lot of these mean reverting rallies in growth and tech, and I think technically I want to see more to really believe this one, but you know, from a fundamental perspective, what you're going to want for the rest of the year is stuff that's priced well and that has some semblance of earning stability. And I think you're going to find that more in growth. Growth does well when inflation is high and falling, uh, when earnings are falling, when economic growth is falling. And that's exactly the environment we're in slash about to go into. And I think values earnings are more vulnerable to the economic environment. Uh, I think about a sector or an industry like banks that tends not to do so great in a slowing economy. There's been no underperformance yet at all. So, you know, for us and how we're thinking about positioning portfolios, it is about reacting to this rotation that I think is just getting underway. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about banks, and you, you kind of trickled in some of your thoughts there. So we'll go to Tim and rotate there. Obviously, we often talk about the banks when we're starting that discussion about earnings season. J.P. Morgan reporting next week. Are we at a top with rates? And if we are, does that mean banks are less attractive now than they have been in recent weeks and months? 
Well, b banks have priced in a whole lot of flattening of the yield curve. Uh, banks have not necessarily priced in the earnings power of higher interest rates. I think we know all about the impact of the mortgage market and those that are more exposed to mortgage sensitivities. Investment banking is ground to a halt. Um, sales and trading activity has actually been better. Volatility is not bad for, for broker-dealers. Uh, wealth managers are seeing also just a drawdown in assets. So in terms of fee income, you know, Morgan Stanley is, is under some pressure there. Um, Goldman Sachs is under some pressure from the investment banking side. I think the money center banks right now actually give you, not surprisingly, the most diversified exposure. It, it's hard to, to, to get excited about going in to buy banks here, especially as we like to talk about on the show, the, the impending possibilities of serious credit issues. And if you look at high yield, again, we're at high yield levels uh, going back about six years. We, we actually essentially have uh, began to, to hit some of those peaks of, of COVID lows, or at least if you take those out uh, and you run a line back to uh, the last time we had at least the beginnings of this kind of a feel. Slower growth usually means more credit issues. I, I still think, though, if you're if you're nibbling at J.P. Morgan here and you're buying best of breed and you're buying great balance sheets, especially after we've gotten at least some insight into that, we're going to get a lot more next week. Um, banks have sold off into this earnings period. So uh, to that extent, uh, you could be more tactical into it. Banks are not getting away from you here. Well, as we mentioned, another round of earnings season getting started. So let's take a look at some of these big names reporting next week. We just talked about J.P. Morgan a bit, but Pepsi, Delta, Taiwan Semiconductor, those are among the non-banks on the calendar that we're looking forward to. So we thought this would be a perfect time to play a little game of... Trade it or fade it! That's right, trade it or fade it, non-financial edition. So, Bonowin, let's kick things off with you and Pepsi. The drink maker is set to report earnings on Tuesday. What do you think, trade it or fade it? Uh, I'm going to trade it. Um, I'm also going to play an additional game. I, I would rather own Coke, but I'm okay. trading it because I wasn't given that option. Um, but as I mentioned, I'm, def I, I'm you know, kind of postured defensively. I think this thing pays a pretty good dividend, uh, you know, three, three and a half percent. Now, the, the multiple is a bit expensive, but I'll say looking back historically, it's still in line. It's still within a standard deviation of where that where that Ford price PE multiple has been. So I'm comfortable with it here. I think that's really the shoe to drop. But but given that and given the, the, the defensive posture of that brand, I really think even if there is downside, it's somewhat limited. And sometimes it's about losing less than the alternative. And I'm willing to play that game right now with Pepsi. Well, I'm going to I'm going to ask you a follow up then. As you mentioned, you would rather own Coke ahead of the earnings for Pepsi. Would you rather own Coke? Is that something you're actually uh, I, actively looking at? I'd rather own Coke in any okay. scenario. It's just, you know, it's just a, a better operated company, higher gross and net margins. It's, I, I just think, it, and it trades on top of, they trade on top of each other in terms of what you're paying for earnings. So I just think it's the, the better in class. All right, fair enough. Jeff. So I'm going to fade this one, but I understand what Bonham was saying. I mean, I'm not particularly excited about the market right now either. So I think, you know, owning some defensive names makes sense. I just think with, with Pepsi, you're kind of working on this 12% rally right now. You have resistance at 175. So I'd watch that level. If it breaks above, above 175, maybe I change my tune there. Look at 155 on the downside. I think if it breaks below that, you have more to go. And Bonham mentioned it, but it's at the top end of its PE range, really going back to 2000. I think it's trading around 25 times and the sector is below 20 times. So uh, those issues concern me. I think if there's any margin pressure at this valuation, that creates more problems. Bonneman also mentioned the dividend. Uh, I agree, but potentially less attractive if people are going into the name just for the dividend when there is now an alternative in the bond market. 
above 171. It's a bit away from that 155 mark. Next up, Delta Airlines on deck. It's set to report on Wednesday. Julie, I don't know if you've been flying lately, but oh my gosh, what a nightmare. When we're talking about the stock, though, Julie, what is your take? So there is no bigger hype girl than me when it comes to Delta, the operation. But Delta, the stock, is probably not for me. I think what we have been seeing is, look, it's it's full on planes. I just flew. And it's it's absolutely full for the summer vacations. But those are not business travelers, and they're not paying the full fare that we do. And the fact of the matter is we're just not going to be traveling as much for business as we used to. We've all figured out how to do it. I go on 15 business trips a year and I'm going on five to six, seven now. That's just a very important dynamic for Delta because business travel is what really keeps that plane flying. It's so much more profitable. So I think long term, this is not a great uh, stock to own, but the operation is very well run. So, All of that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And I am very interested in seeing what they have to say about the consumer and their expectations, of course, for consumer travel and business. Tim, what do you think, though? Trade it or fit it? You like Delta? I'm going to trade it. Uh, not lost on me. I'm going up against the airline analyst here who, who I want to listen to her views on this. Uh, I just I, I think the, some of the constraints on, on the airlines right now are artificial. It's, it's planes, it's pilots and things. That, and I don't think it's as much on the demand side. I, I recognize the front of the bus uh, and business travel is in a very different place than it was pre-COVID. But I'm also listening to airlines tell me where those trends are improving drastically, including international. And, uh, you know, Delta, I don't think there's any big surprises. Uh, again, as Jessica pointed out, best in breed here. Um, I think you've got a, a dynamic where Delta is certainly head of the class, best balance sheet. Uh, and I look at the valuation based upon the street somewhere around six bucks a share. This is trading at five times 23. I, I think this is value territory. All right. Well, moving on, Taiwan Semiconductor reporting Thursday. Jeff, this one's for you. Trade or fade? So I'm going to fade this one. I think you can make a pretty good argument that there's a multi-year value here. But I think for the here and now, I, I just think the chart looks really nasty. If it doesn't hold that $80 level, uh, you could go all the way down to 60 bucks a share. So the risk reward I don't think is great. And I'm just trying to avoid stuff that's cyclically exposed. And I think this is uh, one of those particular names. All right, Tim, what's your take on this one? Uh, my first take is it's Julie, not Jessica. Apologies. Second is uh, I, I think I'm a buyer, and I think the valuation here we pulled back major stuff, and 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 I think in semis TSM is head of the class. They are certainly your your basic foundry recovery TSM. All right. Well, that's all we have time for on this game, I guess. Plinko may be coming up next. I'm not sure, but I know it is coming up. It's a bird. It's a plane. It is the chart master. He will join us live to break down where the housing trade is heading. And later, we're looking at one stock that could be primed for profits. Whoops, that was a clue. The chart of the week and much more when Fast Money returns. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy 
to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. As home prices and mortgage rates ripped higher, housing affordability slipped to its lowest level since 2006 in May, according to the National Association of Realtors. So where are builders and housing-related stocks headed from here? Well, the chart master, Carter Braxtonworth, is in the house, and he says there's more room to run. Carter, explain. Let's get to it, right? So what's interesting about that reference point you just said, 2006, that's exactly what the charts did as well. First, relative performance. Uh, it's an important part of all investing, and it's incontestable. This is simply a table of three-month percent change. ITB, XHB, the market, right? So depending on the constituents and how you weight them, either way, housing has been much better than the overall equity market. Let's look at some charts. You referenced 2005, 2006. What's so remarkable, of course, is that the all-time housing peak, and then we exceeded it, and we've checked back to it. And we are sitting right here on that line. And it's holding. And so the here and now charts are very important. And you'll see that next. After going well above the housing peak, we are in this downtrend. Now, the downtrend from the peak, remember, housing uh, topped in December, market topped in January, down 40%, S&P down 25 more, in fact, than the, the QQQ. And what we have now, and it's very clear here, is we've been up against this line, and we've touched it, and we've touched it, and we've touched it, and we're there again. And this time, however, after the 40% decline, I think it's up and out. We're going to break out. So another way to look at it is with a channel. And like a sort of a pinball machine, we have been inside the channel perfectly. And you know what? Again, I think it's green arrow time. And finally, a big stock that's housing related, Home Depot. It's the same setup. And that's what makes it so important. It's a very cohesive group and they're all setting up the same way. The bounce from the low is almost twice that of the S&P for the group. And my thinking again here, let's get that one more time. Green arrow, higher. I like it for more. Well, thank you very much, Carter. We'll see you back here for options action in just a few minutes. But for now, let's trade this. Bonowin, what do you make of Carter's charts and his thesis? I mean, I think there's very little upside (laughs) in uh, taking the contra side of Carter's charts. I mean, the guy (laughs) just knocks it out of the park routinely. I will say I do think there continues to be a bit of headwinds in the housing market. But he mentioned affordability. And and, and And for that reason, I think Toll Brothers is a name that you can look at because they appeal to that 850, 900K and above price point, which you're just not going to see the same volatility in terms of demand there. So I think given where these are, a lot of these trade four and a half, five times forward price to earnings. I think you can kind of start nibbling here. Mm. But I, I, I would just I'd be cautious. I wouldn't dive in with both feet quite just yet. OK, Julie, what do you think? Anything to nibble on here for you? Not not for me. I mean, I would agree if I wanted to have exposure to the home builders, I think toll is absolutely the one to play. But if you look at affordability right now, if you look at April's mortgage payment, that would constitute 41% of the average household's income, 41%. That's well in excess of kind of the guidance of 30%. Like that's how much I spend on hair and makeup because underneath here is like an old grumpy man. So like, that's just way too high. It's way too high. It's way too high. So I, I think we have to remember that in the last housing down cycle, the earnings of all of these companies collapsed pretty precipitously. It can turn on a dime actually quite quickly because if you think about the decision to buy a home or not, it's a huge decision. So affordability eventually has to has to kick in to a point where people can't buy. 
Fair enough. All those points make sense, except for the one about looking like a man, ugly, any of those things underneath that. You look just the grumpy old man underneath, uh, I promise. Nah, nah. A happy, lovely woman. Well, I want to pull up a chart really <laughs> quick here of Twitter, if we can. Uh, sounds like we have some, some breaking news here about Elon Musk and looking more and more like he is trying to terminate the deal to buy Twitter. You can see shares in the extended hours are falling sharply, more than 6% down on these headlines about Elon Musk citing issues, including the fake account, something, of course, that he has been really stuck on for some time and has been bothered him very much about the business of Twitter. Uh, Julia Borston today talking about in Sun Valley how many executives there seemed to be frustrated about the fact that he may be giving up on this because many of them also had uh, reasons that they would like Twitter to be fixed and agreed with at least some of his initial ideas. But potentially right now, uh, this deal looks like it may be off here. Twitter is trading below $35, down about six percent right now. Tim, you have any thoughts? I know we've talked about this one uh, ad nauseum, but if this really is the real deal that is ending, what are your thoughts? Well, I, you know, t- Twitter is sorry. Elon is the, the gift that keeps giving to Twitter bears. By the way, kudos to Karen Feinerman, who way back when this deal was coming together, took the other side of this trade. I don't know where she sits in that position now, but but good for her. And, and, and I, I guess, you know, I see Twitter now back to pre-Elon story. And, and I, I do think you have to kind of look at the company maybe through a different lens because we, we've now confirmed there are no other buyers. We've now at least challenged some of the assumptions on uh, really the number of users. But we're really no different than where we were. And, and therefore, I, I think you're at a place where Twitter to me still is intrinsically value, is still a company that uh, many people thought was going to move significantly higher as they began to monetize. And they they, they brought on some of these new products that really were going to increase engagement. Uh, the cyclicality of the ad cycle also hurts them here, um, mm. and that doesn't go on forever. So I, I don't think you're shorting Twitter at this point. I think Elon running for the door may be the best thing that happens to this company. And just uh, some more clarity on some of the news that we're getting. We understand that there is a filing that includes a letter from Elon Musk's attorney saying that Twitter has not provided the information that he has been requesting now for nearly two months. And that is part of the reason why he is terminating this deal. Again, Twitter shares are trading now above $35 in the extended session, down about 45 to 5%. I'm sure this is uh, not the end of this story. Guys, are we going to move on here? You want to keep, keep going with Twitter? All right. Uh, Julie, uh, what do you make of what's going on with with Twitter? And if Elon Musk here is not interested in Twitter, does this open up the door for someone else potentially to buy the name? No, I mean, I I think this was probably one of the most shop deals once, you know, Elon was in play. I I think that long term, this is a benefit because I don't think really that Twitter employees had a lot of confidence in Elon's ability to run this business, you know, seeing as he's the CEO of two other businesses that are quite large and complex. Um, but I think longer term, it should be positive for them. In the near term, you know, something that has changed for Twitter is that tech valuations writ large have declined precipitously. So I don't think there's a great floor underneath this business, right? Because we, we know there's no buyers. There's, there's nothing that, that can come in and swoop in and save them. Um, and the strength of the business is in question because we know that ad revenue is going to be challenged. So I'm a little concerned about this stock, but I think long term, it's a positive for the company. Hmm. A positive. That's interesting. Jeff, what do you make here um, of this that now seems to be pretty official here since we have this filing and this letter from the attorney that Elon Musk is terminating his offer to buy Twitter? 
Yeah, I think the probability of that's been going higher and higher over the past couple of weeks. And listen, this has been a stock that's been challenged for a very long time. I mean, it's almost been dead money since its IPO for investors. And I think there's still a major question over the business, and that is, you know, can it improve the monetization? And for me, that's still a major overhang. I don't know when it's going to improve. You know, in terms of, you know, buying it now at this point in the cycle, I think that's also challenging. So for me, it's something I would set aside until there's much more clarity in terms of the business. Yeah, so uh, just again for anyone that might just be tuning in here, a filing has just been put up that we have all now seen, and there's a letter from Elon Musk's attorney giving the explanation for why he is deciding to terminate his deal to buy Twitter, saying that Twitter has not provided information that he has been requesting for the past two months. He has had numerous attempts to try to follow up with the company, to try to fill in some of the blanks that he was missing from this information in his broad request and does not believe that he was given the information that he needed. Again, Twitter shares now trading about $35 a share here after hours, down about 5% on this news. Really interesting turn of events. And uh, this has been quite a road since the beginning of the idea that he would buy this, the price at which he would buy it, that he would be on the board, that he would not be on the board that he would potentially lower the price. As we've all pointed out, the tech valuations have come down since that point in time in which he made this initial offer. And now here we are in early July, and he says no deal to buy Twitter with Elon Musk terminating the Twitter deal, according to a letter from his attorney in a filing and shares down about 5% on this news. Interesting stuff. Um, I wonder what this does for the tech sector going forward, and we will have to wait and see. But we're going to go to final trades. So, uh, Julie, I'm going to start with you. A company that I think is really interesting right now is Aspen Technology. It's a business that serves the oil and gas industry. Long-term contracts, very high level of earnings durability. That's what I'm most focused on right now. Okay, Jeff, how about you for final trade? I'm going to lean into my Cigna trade from Tuesday. It's up 5% since then. It's now broken out to a new high, so I think the momentum carries it higher. Okay, Bono, and how about you? Final trade. Uh, continuing the defensive theme, UNH really comes down to pricing power, and they have it. Mr. Seymour, end us out here. If Carter was drawing a chart on Alibaba, I think we would have had that little green arrow, too, breaking out of that channel. Good news out of China on the macro, and just hands off from the government's good news for Alibaba breaking out. Well, thank you all for joining us here on Fast Money tonight. Stick with us. Options action is coming up next. What a week it's been and what a week it will be next week. Thanks again. We'll see you soon. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.